Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Heavy Branches. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we're very excited to be going into Luke chapter 23 with you this week uh, here in our new setting. But before we do that, Tanner, how's your week been? My week's, my week's been good. Uh, like Jake said, we're uh, just doing it in a little bit different of a setting. Um, we're at the Sherman Church of Christ today. Just That's where we decided to do it, I guess. Um, my week's been good. Started uh, a series of sermons this past Sunday on the way God created things to be. I'm excited about it. Um, uh, the first Sunday, I think, went pretty well. Um, so I'm excited to continue doing that. Um, how's your week been? Uh, it's been good. Um, both of my LBC classes got canceled this week, which that was kind of a sad thing. Um, I always enjoy class time, so that was sad. Other than that, it's been good. Uh, I'm preaching this Sunday over at South Fork Christian Church, which is in Verona, not too far from here. Uh, normally when I go fill and preach places, I'm traveling a long way, but this time I'm staying closer to home. Uh, was working some last night with you and our friend Jacob Cabe, uh, working through some sermon series ideas through Philippians, so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's been a good week. Yeah, we... Uh kind of we've had performed that exercise before not us three together but in class with carrie once we kind of did that exercise with revelation um chapter two so it was interesting to do that i don't know that i was in that class no i don't think you were it was me and caleb tolliver and maybe one or two other guys but um it was interesting to do that together that's cool so I have an icebreaker game for you. Oh, I'm, I'm the one getting you're, you're right. on on the spot today. Yes. And okay. So the game is called "Who Said It," but we're also gonna add in there who wrote it. So who said it or who wrote it? I hope all this right. isn't for movies because I'm gonna do terrible. <laughs> it's not for movies. All of them, but two, are from scripture. Oh no! But, so if I do bad, this is not gonna look good. <laughs> I, I gave you I gave you a couple that I would say are layups. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um but as we do this, if you all know the answer, comment and like as we go through, you know, put the answer before we give the answer and then uh we'll see how you all did as well. We'll see how you matched up with Jacob. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the the two that aren't scripture are quotes from preachers that I know that you have heard the quote, you were sitting next to me when the quote was said. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. So the first one. Okay, are you ready? I'm as you, ready you as I'm going to be. You don't have to give me the scripture, just who said it or who wrote it. Okay. All right? Okay. But love your enemies and do good and and lead, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Jesus? Jesus. That's in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. I right. wouldn't have known the reference, but I did know it was Jesus. <laughs> All right, uh, second one. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Uh, John. John wrote it. First John chapter four, verse eight. All right. Next one. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, Romans chapter five from Paul. <laughs> Romans chapter five, verse eight. <laughs> Good. All right. 
By the way, I would be horrible at this. I knew he would be good at this because he remembers scriptures like that. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about all that. All right. Next one. Now we're getting a little harder. Okay. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Uh, I know it's in the Psalms, but I don't know if it was a psalm written by David or someone else. Give your give is it, what's your best guess? the The best guess would be David because he wrote most. of David them. is correct. Okay, Psalm uh, sixty three three. All right, <laughs> here's an interesting one. This was probably this one might be the hardest one. Okay, I I would be shocked if anybody anybody got this one, unless they are really good. All right. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. It's in Psalms again. We sing that a lot at church. It's in Psalms and Chronicles. Okay. I didn't know it was in Chronicles. I did know it was in the Psalms, though. So does does that count? Is that like half a point? Uh, I'll give you half a point. So you've (laughs) got, let's see, one, two, three, four, and a half. What's your, give your best guess for that one. Because of how you've approached this, I'm going to think it's not David. Is it Asaph? Nice, dude. <laughs> I, you get the full point. All right. <laughs> Asaph and relatives. But first, that, that was a pure guess because I, I knew it wasn't David. And the, the other one that I could think of that I knew wrote some Psalms was Asaph. So Yeah, that's a good one. So uh, that was in First Chronicles 16, verse 34. Nice, dude. All right. Uh, next one, not scripture. I'll just go ahead and put that one out there. Okay. Which you probably would get that, but all right. God loves you. He would rather die for you than live for you. God loves you. He would rather die for you than live for you. And this is a preacher? Yes. Hmm. Oh, um. Oh, what's his name? That guy from Eastern Kentucky, Aaron Davis. That's him, right? Dude, how did you get that? He said that at family campus summer. Yeah, he did, but (laughs) that's crazy. Wow. Okay, yeah, it's Aaron Davis. I couldn't remember his name for a second, but yeah, he that was in his sermon at family camp. All right, next one. Not not scripture again. All right. Okay. It's all about grace. Sometimes I think, my God, I don't deserve that love. The scriptures tell me I'm right, but that's what makes it great. Was this one at family camp too? No. Okay. Can you read it one more time? It's all about grace. Sometimes I think, my God, I don't deserve that love. The scriptures tell me I'm right, but that's what makes it grace. And it wasn't at family camp. I don't know. I I don't know that one. This actually wasn't a a sermon. This was a class, but it was said by a preacher, and it was Harry Peer. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. That was a class we had at school. Yes. Yeah. What do you remember? Which class it was? Um, I think it was our Bibtheo class. Okay. So. Um, last one, you, you will, well, you got the last one wrong, but it would almost be flawless. (laughs) Okay. 
Um, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus. Jesus. John fifteen thirteen. And I don't know if anybody noticed, but all of those have to do with love. Happy Valentine's Day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually didn't even notice that or think about it. Oh, uh, so, good job. You really got you really shocked me with the Asaph and the Aaron Davis. Those were the two that I thought would be the hardest, and, and you got them. Well, so, I appreciate well it. Well done. All right. I feel bad now. Your grandpa's quote was the only one I couldn't remember. <laughs> I did listen during class. If you're listening to this, Doctor Beer, direct quotes is is difficult though. That's different than understanding what he taught. That's true. All right. Let's hop into Luke. Hopefully, you all had some fun with that. Um, maybe uh, one of you out there got a hundred percent. If you did, that's that's pretty good. That's impressive. <laughs> it would have had to be someone in our class. So <laughs> maybe, or they just had a really good guess. I guess that's true. So anyway, let's hop into our key thoughts, shall we? Lead us in. All right, Luke chapter twenty-three, fifty-six verses. The chapter title I have for us this week is Jesus Saved the Lost. Um, And we've talked again and again throughout this chapter, or throughout this book. Um, You know, we went back to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The the key verse of the, the scripture, or for the book, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's that which was lost. And... This is the accomplishment of that mission. This is where Jesus dies to save the lost. Um, so let's kind of see how that, how Luke, you know, details out how this happens. Um, at the beginning here, you know, the first 25 verses or so, it's all about uh, Jesus. You know, he, he was arrested. He's brought before the Sanhedrin, but then at, at this chapter, as this chapter begins, he's brought before the uh, before Pilate, and then Pilate sends him to Herod, and then Herod sends him back to Pilate. Um, and then we see in verse 12, it says, Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. What we see in this passage, oh, and let me just start with this as I always do. Please read the scripture with us. Um, you know, read before, during, after, just so that you know kind of what we're talking about and so that you can check us, make sure that we're, you know, teaching the right thing just as much as um, as we want, want to be. Um, but Pilate, through these verses, seems convinced that Jesus really is this king that he says he is. He seems convinced that Jesus is not guilty of anything, any wrongdoing. Um, But what we see is that fear of loss controls his actions. The first thing that can, the first thing he does out of fear is as soon as he hears that Jesus is, you know, has been in Galilee and he could be considered a Galilean, Pilate's like, oh, he's not in my jurisdiction. I don't want anything to do with this. Let's send him to Herod. So he goes to Herod. Herod sends him back. Then Pilate begins to examine him. He finds no reason to punish him. You know, we we read the the story that 
gets talked about a lot where where they offer up Pilate offers up Barabbas to re- release Barabbas or Jesus the crowd chooses Barabbas and what the parallel passages teach us about this whole account so you know Matthew and Mark and and John what they teach us is that Jesus was even about his mission even during all of this trial while he, Paul, while while Pilate is examining him Jesus is about his mission before Pilate and you know in John 18 specifically I'm not going to read much from there um but in John 18 Jesus is speaking to Pilate about the gospel and he says in verse 36 of John 18 he says my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews but as it is my kingdom is not of this realm and therefore Pilate said to him so are you a king and Jesus answered you say correctly that I am a king for this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth everyone who is of the truth hears my voice um so as Pilate is I guess interrogating him if you want to put it that way Jesus begins to teach him about the kingdom of God that it's not of this world this is this is what Jesus has been teaching and preaching over and over again the kingdom of God um the gospel message and Pilate is convinced of that I mean he 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 really makes it seem as though he sees no guilt and the only way that he would see that Jesus is not guilty is if he begins to be convinced of the truth well but, he, he doesn't just make it seem that way I mean the scripture flat out says I mean looking look in verse 20 of chapter 23 says Pilate wanting to release Jesus address them again address the crowd yeah but they kept on calling out crucify him I mean the scripture teaches us here that Pilate didn't want to to do this to Jesus. He wanted to release him. Yeah. And because he doesn't see that what Jesus is saying makes him guilty. Um, And the sad part of all of this is we see a prime example of what fear and power can do to a person. He he fears loss. He fears... um, maybe being discredited or losing his position or losing money. I, you know, there's a list of things that he could be fearing, but fear drives him to say, you know, you take him and do with him as you please, which, you know, is a free open door for them to crucify Jesus. Um, and it's not a just trial either. Yeah, it's not a just trial because, you know, although... Although Pilate says, my hands are clean of this, really, they're not, because he allowed it as as the prime, you know, official that makes that decision, he allowed it to happen. Um, and it was for the sake of not causing a riot, um, which was pretty common, especially around the time of the Passover, uh, you know the the Jews would would cause riots and 
the Roman officials would, you know, have to stop the riots and, and the key officials would get in trouble for stuff like that. And so in order to not have a riot happen, he allows them to crucify Jesus. Um, but even though all of this, this unfair, unjust trial happens, what we notice, what we know is God is still the one in control overall. It is still God's plan for salvation. Um, and Jesus is working to fulfill that through all of this, even through this unjust trial. It was it was God's will that Jesus went on the cross. It wasn't just that that that's what happened because of of Pilate and Herod. Yeah, and it, it was not though though you know they want him to be crucified. I mean, we see Jesus doesn't really fight against it. He just answers the questions, um, and it is Jesus who actively chose to put himself there in that position to be the sacrifice for us. Um, then, you know, we see that they begin to make Jesus carry his cross. Then Simon of Cyrene comes and carries the cross. Um, there was a large crowd, and Jesus then speaks to um, the women around, and what he says to them is regarding the the destruction of Jerusalem. And what he says is is really deep. It's really um I mean it it's a kind of a big deal the way he the way he words his response. And what it shows is the depth of devastation that was gonna come to Jerusalem. You know, back then you know, the world kind of views things a little differently now, unfortunately. But back then it would back then it would have been considered a curse to be barren. Um, to not be able to have children. And you know, that's a tragic reality for a lot of women. Um, yeah. but what Jesus says here is it is gonna be better for barren women than women with child or that have children. When the de when the destruction of Jerusalem comes, even though it's a a curse considered a curse, then to not be able to bear children, it would be better for them because they wouldn't have to deal with the suffering and the struggle of being with child or having children when this destruction is coming, or see their their young child have to go through that as yeah. well, knowing that they can't do anything to protect for them or provide for them. Yeah, and you know these. Romans are being cruel now to Jesus. How much more cruel are they going to be in this time of complete, you know, destruction of Jerusalem? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we learn that the villainous crucifixion of Jesus, it will not go unpunished. Um, then I want to read verse. So, so that happens. They get to. Uh, the place of the skull, Golgotha, is what some of the other passages refer to it as. And Jesus is crucified. And he's crucified with two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And what a powerful thing that Jesus says as the first thing he says once he's on the cross. 
beaten, spit on, mocked, drained by his crucifiers, nailed and hung on the cross, hung with thieves, murderers, but he's still focusing on seeking and saving the lost, his mission all along. Verse 34, he says, it says, But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This continuous, continuously astonishes me. You know, you sometimes you read passage or read like stories or accounts of of martyrs and they're being beaten and they're being, you know, for their faith and mm. and they they say, you know, I'm not going to give up my faith in Jesus, but. Jesus doesn't even make it about him. He makes it about the people crucifying him, saying, forgive them. And that is, in reality, the point of the cross. Right. Um, his first thought is forgiveness. Forgiveness for those who called for him to be there. Yet, as we already said, he put himself there for them. He put himself there for them, the sins of the Jews. He put himself there for the sins of the Romans. And he put himself there for the sins of you and us. Um, like I said, astonishing. But I'm thankful for it. Beyond, beyond thankful. Now we have arrived to possibly one of the most controversial passages of scripture in in all of Christian Christendom um, so let me just first start by let's read together verses 39 through 43 the Bible says one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying are you not the Christ save yourself and us but the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. I'll start this conversation by saying this. Please do not be fooled by false doctrines on this statement, which contradicts Scripture as a whole. There is a, a strong belief that this passage is in support of belief only is what saves. But... What we see again and again throughout Scripture is that belief alone is not the case. Belief does not, does not make everything right. Faith is what saves. And what faith requires of us is, is one, one of the things of faith is belief. We must believe, and we must trust, and we must obey. Faith involves all of that. And so 
you know, faith is the condition of forgiveness and salvation under the Old Covenant and under the New Covenant. However, entering the two covenants have different requirements. They have different conditions. At the moment that Jesus said this, you know, it was pre-death, pre-burial, pre-resurrection, and the Old Covenant was still in effect at this time. The New Covenant in Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, is now the way to forgiveness and salvation. Faith for forgiveness and salvation requires belief, trust, and obedience. And to enter the new covenant, one must believe, confess Jesus as Lord, repent of their sin, and be baptized in trust and in obedience. And then, you know, we live the Christian life. We live um, a life trying to be holy and live like Christ. So, you know, faith, again, is, is the condition of both, but the way faith is, the way that we have faith is different for the two covenants. So, <clears throat> What what I've heard people say, uh, w when this comes up, uh, this this passage about the thief on the cross is, when you're discussing with someone um, what we have to do to be saved. Uh, another way to phrase that, how do we accept the gospel? You know, you know, the Bible calls salvation a gift. So how do we accept that gift? And, and you know, you have two two different camps. One camp saying all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you've accepted that gift. And, and they might throw in there, um, believe and, pr and pray the sinner's prayer, pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart and forgive you and you'll be saved. Um, even sometimes they'll include repentance. You know, they'll say, believe in Jesus, pray and ask him to forgive you and, and repent and, and you'll be saved. And they'll use this as an example when people like Tanner and I... <clears throat> And, and many others will say that baptism is essential for salvation. Um, and, and so what they'll say is, well, look here in Luke chapter 23, the thief on the cross was not baptized. And Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So this thief on the cross made it to paradise. And from what we know, he was never baptized. So... They say, they say, because of this, you cannot say baptism is is required, is necessary to accept the gift of salvation, to become a Christian, to have your sins forgiven. And, and so what we do, I, I, think, I think the root of the problem here is this. We're, we're taking what Luke 23 says about the thief on the cross, and we're saying, okay, all of these other scriptures in the New Testament can't actually mean what they say because it doesn't line up with Luke 23. And so we're, we're taking one verse and saying, okay, this verse means that this verse can't be true. But, but there's, a, there's a fundamental problem there with how you're interpreting the scripture if you do that. Because I think no matter what theological background you come from anywhere in Christendom, you would agree the whole Bible is the Word of God. All of it is perfect, and all of it is true. 
I think everyone that's listening to this would agree with that. And, and if that's true, what we cannot do is we cannot say this verse disproves this verse. If we're, if we're going to, to say that the whole Bible is the word of God, we ha- it, it all has to work and fit together. Every verse has got to be true. You can't say this verse makes this verse not true. So there is, there's a few places in Scripture I want to go to um, as we're talking about this. The first one, I'll turn over to Mark chapter 2. Um, and Tanner talked a little bit here about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Um, the, the way that people were saved in the Old Testament is through faith. The way people in the New Testament are saved is also through faith. But that looks a little bit different, and we're going to talk about that some. Uh, so Mark chapter 2, verse 10, says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. So the, this is the words of Jesus, and it says, he, when he was on earth, he has the authority to forgive sins. And so... To go back here to Luke 23, Jesus is on earth. He's on the cross next to the thief. He has all authority given to him by God to forgive sins. Whether, no matter what the circumstances are, Jesus can forgive his sins because Mark 2.10 says he has the authority to do that. So Jesus isn't here on earth anymore. Jesus is up at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So Jesus can't personally come walk up to me and forgive my sins anymore. He can't, he's not here to do that. Instead, he has given to us his word, which tells us now in this age, in this new covenant age, how are we forgiven of our sins? Um, and, and so the first scripture I'll, I'll turn to as, as we're talking about, about baptism uh, with this whole discussion with the thief on the cross is I want to point out something from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. So here's what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, 21. He says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and read 22. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. So Peter straight up says here, baptism now saves you. But then he, he talks about how and why it does. He says it's, it's not the removal of dirt from the flesh. And, and, and that's a, an important phrase because there are people out there that will say the only thing that matters is that you get dunked underwater and if you, you, that's your baptism and you're saved. That is not the case. That is not what Tanner and I mean when we say baptism is essential for salvation. If that was the case, you want to know what I'd do? I would hire 
I would hire Dwayne the Rock Johnson <laughs> or the biggest, strongest guy I could find. I'd I'd buy myself a, a cheap little pickup truck with a kiddie pool in the back, and I'd drive around the country roads, get Dwayne the Rock Johnson to wrestle these guys down and force them under the water. Because if that's all it took to, to get people to heaven, that's what I'd do. And and that is what some people believe. Um, not not many that I've met personally, but it is a belief out there. As long as you get them under the water, they're going to heaven no matter what they believe, no matter how they live the rest of their life. And I want to make it very clear that is not where we're coming from. What Peter says, baptism now saves you, not because of the removal of dirt from the flesh. It's not that the water has special magic powers. So where does the, the saving part come from? It says, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only reason baptism has any power to save that Peter tells us here is because of the resurrection of Jesus. So what I would contend, if we're going to go back to Luke 23, even if the thief on the cross did get baptized, Jesus hadn't died and rose from the dead yet, so it wouldn't have meant anything. It wouldn't have meant anything for his ability to receive the forgiveness of sins. Peter tells us, baptism saves you through the resurrection. And if the resurrection hasn't happened yet, that means no, no amount of dunking you under the water is going to save you. So, <clears throat> let's... Let's just, so we're all on the same page here. Jacob and I are not saying that baptism is the only thing a person must do to be saved. Right. Peter, that's, Peter says that that's essential to it, but that's not the only scripture in the, in the whole Bible that talks about being saved in the conditions of salvation. So just like we can't just use Luke chapter 23 and this section about the the thief on the cross we also can't just use that passage from uh from the letter of Peter but what we find throughout the scriptures is some of it's dependent on who they're talking to and what the people that they're talking to already know but the conditions of salvation are presented to us throughout the scriptures, as belief is one of them, repentance of sins is one of them, confession of Jesus as Lord is one of them, and baptism is one of them. And those things are the conditions that our Lord has given to us in the new covenant, that when we put our faith in Him, that is how we put our faith in Him, and that through that Jesus saves. If you, if you are baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the, the, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but you don't believe truly from your heart that Jesus died for you and that that is, that is what makes you eligible to be saved, that that's how forgiveness is possible is because of Jesus' death and resurrection. If you don't believe that and you get baptized, you're not saved. No, nothing there has happened. You've 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 gotten yourself wet and taken a bath. If you don't repent, if you don't truly in your heart repent from your sin, turn away from your sin, make a change in your life towards holiness, towards God, then we don't have salvation. 
repentance is necessary for that. And, and you know, somewhere else I wanted to go with this, and what you mentioned earlier was, you know, we have to look at what all the verses say about salvation, figure out what we need to do, and we don't have time to look at every single verse in today's episode, or we'd go forever. It'd be hours and hours long. But you said one thing that's important is sometimes you have to look at who's speaking or who's writing and who were they speaking to and what do they already know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a perfect example of this is in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Peter is preaching really the first, the first, the first gospel sermon that we have recorded, the first... This is the first time after Jesus has resurrected, he's ascended to the Father, that we see a, ser a sermon being preached about salvation. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, it's found in Acts chapter 2, but Peter is preaching to a group of Jews, and they were guilty of putting the Son of God on the cross and killing him. And Peter says to, to them, I'm, I'm summarizing here, you can read through Acts 2 if you want to, to see this. Peter essentially says, God proved through miracles, and especially through the resurrection, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was God in the flesh, the Son of God, and you, and you guys put him to death and killed him. And these in, in, let's see what verse it is, I think 37. Yeah, it's 37. It says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? So where, where, what do these people already believe? Peter has just convinced them in this sermon that Jesus was the Messiah. That, that he was that, Lord that, that he was God. Yeah, that he was Lord in Christ. They believe that now. That they're pierced to the heart. Why are they pierced to the heart? They've just finally understood Jesus was God, and I just took a part in killing God when he came to earth in form of a man. You want to talk about something that will pierce your heart and convict you and make you fear that the wrath of God is going to be on you? Imagine being one of the Jews there that, that chanted, as we just read in Luke 23, crucify him. So these people believe, no doubt about it at this point. And so they ask Peter, what shall we do? How can we make this right? And so what, what does Peter say to them? Well, you've already believed, so you're good. No. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So this promise isn't just for those Jews there, and it's not just for their children. It's for all who are far off. That includes us. They, they've believed in Jesus. You know, they, they, it doesn't say that they've confessed him, but if that you believe in it, I don't see why you wouldn't confess it. And then Peter says to them what they need to do is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And it says why? For the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So 
I, I don't see how salvation, how being saved, can come before you do what is said to do in order to receive forgiveness and to receive the gift of the Spirit. I mean, are we saved before we're forgiven of our sins? That is, that is salvation, is the forgiveness of sins. And, you know, that that is what it is, is the, the forgiveness of sin. And, you know, we get a bunch of promises and hope because of that forgiveness that God has given us. But that is being saved. And that comes when, in faith, the conditions of salvation are met. And those conditions, belief, confession, repentance... Um, baptism and you know Peter you know he could have said you must believe and be and repent and be baptized but as the Jacob's point is they are showing they already believe they've been pierced to the heart so it's not just you have to repent and be baptized it's not that alone but that is part of it and if there was someone there that down in the bottom of their heart they really didn't believe but they still repented and were baptized, they, they were not saved. You cannot be, be baptized without believing in, in Jesus, without being willing to confess Him, without repenting, and be saved. It's not like baptism is just a, a magic formula that you get down in the water and everything's made all right. You have to do everything the Bible says when it talks about being saved or receiving the forgiveness of sins in order for that process to work. You can't just do one one step or two steps or all the steps besides one. You have to be obedient to the gospel, to what to what Jesus and the apostles said we have to do to receive that gift. Yeah. So the last thing that I think I just want to mention regarding this this topic is you know, uh, the main thrust of everything that we've said is that the new covenant was not set in place yet. They were still under the new covenant, and Jesus had the authority. They were still, while, under, still under the old covenant. The, still under the old covenant, and and Jesus had the authority here on earth to forgive sins. So when does the old covenant end, and when does the new covenant begin? Well, the Scriptures teach us they teach Peter teaches right here in his Pentecost sermon that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament of the Old Covenant with um, between man and God. He is the fulfillment of that, and the 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 fulfillment of that comes in. It is completed in his death, burial, and resurrection when he is the Messiah. When God makes him Lord and Christ. As Peter says in Acts chapter 2, when God did that after at, at the resurrection, the old covenant was fulfilled. And what's so awesome about that is the thing that fulfills the old covenant is also the thing that begins the new covenant. The, um, the death, burial, and resurrection is, is the fulfillment of... Uh, of the old covenant and the beginning of the new covenant and you know we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Peter or Paul is writing and he's talking about um, 
I will just read a few verses. Now I have known to you, now I have made now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, is which in which also you stand, by which you you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, listen to this, according to the Scriptures, fulfilled that, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, fulfilled that. And that is the completion of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then it speaks of His appearance to Cephas in the Twelve and the Five Hundred. And so his appearance and, and him now being Lord in Christ is the beginning of this new covenant. Yeah, another scripture that came to my mind, there's t- tons of them you could go to. Uh, I'll, I'll read another one here from Colossians 2. Um, I'll start in verse 13. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So here it talks about you know, the, the decrees against us, like verse 14 puts it, the, the law, that no one could keep the old law perfectly like Jesus did, and he had that nailed to the cross because he, he, he finally was able to complete it and to fulfill it. And, and a big part of that was he lived a perfect life to fulfill the law and then nailed it to the cross so that we could be made right with God. We could be saved without having to live perfectly because that's what he did. And, um, you know, I'm, we're not going to read through all this, but a major point in the book of Hebrews chapters 8, 9, 10, and I I believe even 11, speaks to the the fulfillment of the Old Covenant, but how the Old Covenant was not sufficient. But now in the New Covenant, in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the foundation of our faith being the resurrection, the, the thing that shows that Jesus, the ultimate showing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and shows that the sacrifice that he made mattered; that it meant something. That you know, his resur- the, his record, his resurrection does that. Hebrews talks about how the old covenant was insufficient, but fulfilled in Jesus, and now there is a new covenant and a new way of life. Um. So that's you know something that you can read on that. So let's let's hop back. Do you have anything more to say on that before we hop back to the? Uh, Luke, I do want to mention one last thing. Okay. We're on the on the conversation about baptism in Luke twenty three. Um, we we quoted from Peter. Um, I don't. Well, I guess we didn't quote from Paul, um, but he. If you want to know what Paul wrote about baptism, Romans chapter six, read it. Tons of great stuff there. But I, I thought I'd share what Jesus said about it too, just because, you know, Jesus was who we're talking about saying, well, he let the thief in the cross in the paradise and he was never baptized. Well, what, what did Jesus actually say about it? 
uh, I think a lot of times people get the order of this wrong, but Mark chapter 16, verse 16, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So if you think, you know, that's that, well, Peter and Paul talked about baptism and connecting it with salvation, but well, what about Jesus? Here's an example of Jesus as clear as day. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And so it's not he who has been baptized and then later on believes is going to be saved, or he who has believed shall be saved and then later should get baptized. That's not what Jesus says. He says, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. And I, I hear people say sometimes, well, yeah, Jesus says belief and baptism is what you do to be saved. But, you know, Jesus then says, but he who is disbelieved shall be condemned. But, but Jesus didn't say he who is disbelieved and wasn't baptized should be condemned. <laughs> it, well, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If you didn't believe, your baptism didn't mean anything anyway. <laughs> so it would just be repetitive for Jesus to say, he who is disbelieved and was never baptized should be condemned. Because the point is, if you disbelieved and got baptized anyway for whatever reason, you're still condemned. Mm -hmm. So I, I did just want to share that just because it was from the words of Jesus. Yeah. Um, just in case anyone was wondering if, this was just something the apostles taught or if Jesus actually taught this too. But that was the last thing I, I wanted to, to mention about baptism for today. Yeah, that's good. So let's hop back to Luke 23. Um, you know, we, we really felt like we needed to hone in on some of that. But coming back to this passage, because of all of the false doctrine taught on that passage, the point is missed. And the emphasis here is, as Jesus or as Jacob discussed about Jesus, is Jesus has authority to save. And the point of the cross for us, for, for everybody, is forgiveness through that sacrifice. If Jesus was unable to save, if he was not the Son of God and therefore was unable to forgive sins, then the cross is pointless. But he proves, again here, this is another reminder before his death that he has the godly power to forgive sins. And faith in Jesus is the way. Faith requires, <clears throat> faith requires of us belief in Jesus as the Son of God, Savior through death, Lord through resurrection, and the power of God, the power of God, and it requires trust and obedience to the conditions of salvation. Um, so, if Jesus couldn't forgive sins, his death would have been for nothing. But he could. And that is the point that we so often miss because of all this false doctrine that's taught. So, um, we see that, you know, he says, You will be with me today in paradise. And then, um, you know, darkness falls over the face of the earth. And 
the veil of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. So Jesus dies. So Jacob, I'll, I'll kind of give this over to you to at least start this conversation. We've kind of hinted at it some already, but what is the significance of this moment? What is the significance of Christ's death, His shed blood on the cross? Oh boy. Yeah, so the significant, what, what is the significance of the crucifixion? I guess where I'll, I'll kick us off with this is I've, I've wondered in the past and I don't know if, if anyone else has had this thought or if this was just a thought that went through my head, but have, have, has any of you guys ever wondered why did Jesus actually have to die in order for us to be forgiven? Like, why couldn't it just be Jesus lived a perfect life and, and fulfilled the, the old law and um, all we had to do was uh, just believe that God exists and that Jesus was God and and that God would be able to forgive us of our sins. Like, why did why did Jesus actually have to die when he was perfectly innocent? And, and I believe the scriptural answer to that is because God, one of God's qualities, one of the parts of his nature is that he is holy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that because God is holy means that if, if there is sin in his presence, that sin, ha- that sin has to be punished. It necessitates wrath. If, if God just overlooked sin and did not punish it, he would cease to be holy because yep. that would not be just. And so the idea is every sin that is committed from the time of Adam and Eve till whenever the last day is when Jesus comes back, every sin that is ever committed, past, present, or future, will demand the wrath of God because he's holy. Now that wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. So... If you accept that gift of salvation, salvation, Jesus can take that wrath that you deserved and pay it. And if you don't ever accept that um, gift of salvation, God's wrath is going to be upon you. You're going to have to pay for your own sin. Either you can pay the price for your sin or you can allow Jesus to. Those are really the two options. And so when you think about why did Jesus actually have to die? Why couldn't God just overlook and forgive sin if we believe in him? If he did that, he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be a just God because he would leave sin unpunished. Um, you know, in the Old Covenant, God would, you know, one of the requirements for forgiveness was that they sacrifice lambs and goats. But then Jesus is the Lamb of God, the fulfillment of all of that, and, you know, the beginning of the New Covenant. And again, I'll just mention Hebrews chapter 10, I believe, speaks to how, you know, 
in the Old Testament, they had to keep making these sacrifices, but Jesus being the fulfillment and the perfect sacrifice, he died once for all. Mm. So it's not that Jesus, you know, has to keep dying. His sacrifice was sufficient punishment because of his perfection and because of, you know, who he is. His sacrifice was sufficient for for all all sin, for the sin of of everybody before his death and the sin of everybody after his death. His his sacrifice, the completeness of his sacrifice was sufficient for that. Um, it sufficiently satisfied God's nature, and His nature. He's not only holy, but He's also a God of love, and so Jesus's sacrifice has to 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 satisfy both of those parts of His nature. You know, His His holiness demands justice. It demands, um, um, you know, it brings about wrath for sin, but His love wants to save. And so in Jesus, His wrath is satisfied and His love is satisfied because in Him we can find salvation. And that's what Romans chapter 5, verse, verses 8 and 9 talks about. It says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, you know, much more that more than having now been justified by his blood. So it speaks to the love and and the the holiness side of God's nature. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Mm. Yeah, that Romans 5 8 is probably the more popular verse. Probably more people know of that one. I love that the way that Romans 5 9 puts it that he Say, was it saved us from the wrath of God? Was that the phrase you read exactly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus on the cross saved me from the wrath of God that is necessary because of my sins. It's, so when you talk about, when you ask me the question, what is significant about the crucifixion Without the crucifixion, God's wrath would be on me for my sin, and it would be for the same. The same would be true for every other person that's ever sinned, because it would have nowhere else to go. The only place it can go, other than on us, is on His Son. Um, I was looking up Hebrews um, when you were talking about Hebrews earlier, trying to find a specific verse talking about um, the blood of bulls and goats. And Hebrews 10, it's chapter 10, verse 4, the book of Hebrews says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Uh -huh. And we'd have to go into a lot about the context of that chapter and about the book of Hebrews to explain why that is. And we're not going to go in depth there today. But what the point that drives home is, is, again, what is significant about the crucifixion? Well, the old law was... To get forgiveness of your sins, you had to sacrifice animals, bulls and goats, for God to look over your sin and or, or forgive it, take it away. But he, Hebrews tells us it's impossible for that to work. That That's not enough. Yeah, the old law, those sacrifices only covered sin for a time. But now Jesus, is his sacrifice is sufficient in that it washes that away. Right. It is gone. 
And then one other scripture that I just have to bring up. I, I, this is in a sermon that I preached recently. This scripture is, and I love it. So I'm going to bring it up. Um, but it's 2 Corinthians. If I can get my pages to turn here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. <clears throat> and here's what it says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so when you think about the idea of Jesus on the cross taking the wrath of God for us, this scripture here in 2 Corinthians 5, the, the latter half of it says that, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So like, why would God put Jesus on the cross? He knew no sin. He was totally innocent. And he poured out his wrath on his own son. Why would he do that? I mean, that, that's, that's the question it begs. What would cause God to want to do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 answers that in the second half of the verse, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have the chance to be seen as righteous in the eyes of Almighty God if we're in Him, if we're in Christ, because He took that wrath for us. Yeah. So, Jesus doesn't just die, you know, to die. He's on that cross to be our sin and take our punishment on our behalf so that when God looks at us, He now looks at us in the way that we were made to be, not what we became in our sin. He made us to be in, the, in His image. He made us in His image and His likeness. But Christ, we see in Colossians, it talks about how Christ is the image of God. Hmm. In His perfection and His holiness, He is the image of God. And in Christ... Our sins are now washed away, and we are now again in the image of God. And, and we not, aren't the image of God, but we are again in the image of God in Christ. And we are now seen as righteousness because of Him. Um, it's beautiful how passages and scriptures connect. I, I guess one more, I'll, I'll, I want to read one more passage that talks about the wrath of God. Um, it's, it's John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So what do we have to do in order to ensure the wrath of God does not abide on us? What does John say here? John 3.36 Well, we've got to believe. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But it's not just belief. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. So it's belief and obedience together. And, and when we talk about obedience, I'm not talking about obeying the old law. I'm talking about obeying what, what Jesus 
and what the apostles commanded us to do in order to receive the forgiveness of sins, in order to, to be in him, as that passage in 2 Corinthians 5 put it. Um, so that, that was kind of the last scripture I wanted to read about the wrath of God. Because um, when, you know, when you ask me that question, what is significant about the crucifixion or what makes that significant? Immediately, the first thing that goes into my mind is that's where Jesus took the wrath of God yeah. so that we wouldn't have to. Absolutely. As we wrap up Luke chapter 23, we see, you know, he, he dies. And then we see many of the, the crowd, including a, a centurion, realize this man was innocent. You know, this man, there was something different about this man, Jesus. And I just want you all to notice how from, from after he dies till the end of the chapter, they begin to honor Jesus in his death. And they were doing it then, and that's now something that we do today because of the significance that we just talked about. We honor Jesus' death because in his resurrection, he proved he was the Son of God, the Christ, and that, that death mattered for the reasons that we just talked about. And so we honor him in that. Um, and, you know, that's what verses 47 through 56 talk about. Um, you know, is them honoring him and his death. I believe that's the end of 23. That is the end of 23. I do want to say one last thing as we're wrapping up here. <clears throat> you know, we, we discussed a lot of deep deep stuff today um about salvation about baptism about the thief on the cross about jesus taking the wrath of god for us and i, I just want you to know if you guys have any questions any concerns um if if you're you're kind of second guessing yourself wondering if what well, man was i have I really been saved the way the Bible says to? If you've got questions about your baptism, whatever it might be, if if you guys have anything that's that's weighing on your heart after going through so many of these scriptures we went through today, please, please reach out to us. Um, I, I would love nothing more than to, to be able to have a conversation with you about that if that's something that's weighing on you. Um, if you, like I said, any questions or Anything you would like clarification on, please, please reach out. I would love to, to set up a time where we can talk and discuss these things and just do things the way the Bible says to do them and, and nothing else. That's what we're here to do. You know, we're, we are about bearing fruit, and before any of us can bear fruit, we have to be attached to the vine, and that is Jesus. Um. So this is essential for, it is essential for us to be attached to the vine, and it is essential for us to know the significance of these things and the, the way that Jesus has established and called us to put our faith in Him 
to find salvation, to, to have salvation, you know, it is essential for us to know that so that we can bear fruit. Um, so please reach out, you know, if you have questions, if you, if you need, uh, to talk more about any of this, you know, please comment or, or just message one of us. Many of you know us personally and have our numbers, but thank you all for watching. If you have anything else to add before we wrap up? Have a great week, guys. That's it. Have a great week. Um, we thank you all for watching. And uh, as always, go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.